0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is great to be back with you. I hope you're having a great week. I've been listening recently to a podcast called The Orthodox Conundrum, and Scott Kahn, the host, recently interviewed a Christian pastor as they discussed the relationship of young evangelicals and Israel. And this young pastor, known as Pastor Doug, was exploring his own relationship with Israel, talking about a pivotal trip that he took to Israel. During that trip, he went to the Kotel for a Friday night after which he attended a Shabbos dinner with an Orthodox family in Jerusalem. And the pastor described those moments with the crowds of the Kotel and spending Shabbat with an Orthodox family as the most spiritual experiences he ever had, and a turning point in his relationship with Israel, the Promised Land. That was enough to make my head turn. Sometimes it takes an outsider to show us what's right under our nose. As I watch my own kids grow up and make their way in the world, I see that as Torah Jews, we have so much to be grateful and proud for. At the same time, it's not simple. Our communities face an array of crises, from the cost of Jewish day school to the Shidduch crisis. What we have as Jews is so deep and so profound and yet so fragile. Recently, there was a Pew Research Center study released on the Jewish population of the United States, and Pew found an important thing the number of young Orthodox Jews is continuing to grow as a percentage of the overall Jewish population. While only 3% of Jews ages 65 and older identify as Orthodox, there's now 17% of Jews ages 18 through 29 who identify as Orthodox. And at the same time, while many young Jews identify as Orthodox, there's a growing percentage of younger Jews who identify as having no religion. And so if we look at Jews under 30, the biggest areas of growth are the Orthodox and the no religion. And that split is an important commentary on the state of the Jewish people. When this pastor witnessed a young Orthodox family and he felt inspired, he was seeing one part of our world, even as other parts become more distant from religion. But if there was no, nothing more spiritual for him than those moments at the Kosel or with the kids around the Shabbos table, how did we get there? It's not easy to live a life as a Jew, much less transmit it forward into our lives and the life of our family and community. What is it about the Jewish people that enables us to bring this deep spirit into our tangible world? What enables some people to cross the Jordan into the promised land while others remain in the wilderness? No doubt there's a number of answers to this question. In today's Torah Journey podcast, We're going to explore a very specific Jewish attribute that's vital to our success, not only as a civilization, but as individuals. We're going to explore how to translate our deep Jewish beliefs into the tangible life of this world. It's a challenge to build our lives around the family values of our people. To orient one's career and life trajectory around the next generation can be daunting. Just the other day I was talking with a young man about his career plans as he grapples at a young age about how he'll be able to afford tuition for his kids, God willing, in future years. In truth, many mitzvot are difficult. Some people will succeed in establishing a life of mitzvot, where others may not. One of the clear examples of this arises in our parsha is the Meraglim are sent to spy out the land of Israel. All of the twelve spies were prominent leaders. And of those twelve, two stayed true to the path Hashem commanded, while ten fell short. And that's not a great track record. So, is there a defining difference between the ten and the two that we can learn from? What stands out about the two, Yahushua and Kalev, is their clear-headed amuna and faith. When the spies return from the land, they offer pessimism and fear. And the amuna of Yoshua and Kalev is a great contrast. The Torah says, "Yehoshua ben Nun and Kali ben Yefuna spoke to the entire assembly of Israel, saying, Asheravarnuba tova ha'aretz maod maod. The land that we passed through to spy it out, it is very, very good. If Hashem desires us, He will bring us to this land and give it to us. Eretz Asher hizavas chalav a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Ach altim rodu but do not rebel against Hashem. v'hashem itanu Hashemitanu Altira'um. The protection of the inhabitants has departed from them, but God is with us, do not fear. In these words, Kalev and Yoshua take an important step in reframing the conversation, stating that the position of the ten spies is tantamount to rebellion against God. Now that's a stark statement, so stark that the people suggest that these two spies ought to be stoned. Yoshua and Kalev have advanced an insight, a vision that was lost until this moment. And in their vision, the conquest is all about the presence of God, and fear is a loss of that trust. Kalev and Yoshua are vindicated in their Muna-oriented view through the rest of the Torah. As the Parsha goes on to describe, Hashem decrees that the Jewish people remain in the wilderness for the next 38 years. The carcasses of this generation will drop and only the next door, only the next generation will enter the land. The people mourn excessively and after absorbing the memo, they wake up the next morning, suddenly ready to ascend the place of attack. In the clearest vindication of Kalev and Joshua's view, the people are struck down by the Amaleki and the Kanani as they sought to enter the land, just as they believed God was not in their midst. This revelation is echoed later in Devarim where Moshe reviews the chapter of the spies. The problem of the spies is summed up by Moshe in one simple pasuk. In this matter, you did not believe in Hashem, your God. You did not believe in Hashem, your God. That's a profound statement. But how could it be? The Jewish people have been raised in the faith of Avraham. Hashem has performed miracles with all 12 of the spies living through them. They saw the Nile turn to blood and they walked to the Sea of Reeds when it split. How could it be that ten of the spies did not believe in God? What emerges here is the idea that amun is not merely an intellectual position. Amun points to an ability to translate our beliefs into real-life actions. The spies believed in the existence of a transcendental creator, but they were unable to translate that belief into the actual steps of life, like entering the land of Israel. God redeemed Israel from Egypt with the express purpose of fulfilling the Torah and Torah life in the land of Israel. The spy's fear of fulfilling God's word was an implicit denial of God. I remember when I first got married, I personally felt apprehension about the idea of having children. I deeply wanted to learn in Kola, and I felt unsure about how I could start a family amid economic uncertainty. What I discovered over the years is that we always need to make our best human efforts in everything we do. And at the same time, God has deep pockets. When it comes to a mitzvah, we can't look at it through normal Western eyes. We have to look at it through our belief in the God who commanded us to be fruitful and multiply. This past week, the news came out that China is expanding its definition of family allowing people to have 3 children instead of only 1 or 2. Although China is an ancient civilization with a population of about 1.5 billion people, it faces major social and economic issues on the heels of its decades-only of its decades one child only policy. In Jewish life we've always treasured every baby, boy or girl. As China rolls out its new policy, it's facing a huge challenge even though many Chinese have been clamoring for more permissive laws the small family thing is ingrained in their society. People think that they can only handle much less afford one or possibly two children. As Li Mo Yu, a 44-year-old Chinese tech executive and mother of one, recently remarked, until now, we still haven't found a good reason to have a second child. For the Jewish people, though, the picture is totally different. Pru or vu, be fruitful and multiply, is what our sages refer to as a mitzvah rabba, a great mitzvah. The Sefer Achenech points out that God desires that we populate the land. While we need to take practical efforts to sustain our families, our actions in this world are guided by these values. But here's a challenge. It's not so easy to live according to our beliefs. There are legitimate fears. There were 12 spies, 10 failed and only two succeeded in standing ready to enter the land. How can we assure that we will be prepared to enter into the promised land? After the spies, the Torah pivots to some fascinating mitzvot, including the mitzvah, the commandment to wear tzitzit. We're taught to place tzitzit on the corners of our garments. And upon seeing them, we remember all of the commands that Hashem, who took us out of its gave to us so that we can serve him. By Torah law that seed seed contain a thread of Techhalus intermixed with the white. This blue techelus stands out from the other white threads. Why did the Torah choose this bluish greenish hue of Techhalis, which is extracted from a sea creature known as the chilazon, of all colors? And the in Menachos, Daph Mem Gimeloman Base 43b, notes that Hatchelus domaliyam, viyam domalikia, virakiya hakavod. When we look at the Techelet, it reminds us of the sea, and from the sea we're reminded to look up at the heavens. And upon looking at the heavens, we are reminded of the Kisei ha-kavod, God's throne of glory. How do the Tzitzit remind us of the mitzvot? The Gemara is suggesting that they ignite an introspective process. It starts with seeing the contrast in colors. The bluish hue reminds us of a spiritual component to the world, symbolized by the sea, and from there we look ever upward. In this mitzvah of tzitzit, we weave the fringes into the fabric of our clothing and the fabric of our lives. Their colors point us to something. First we look towards the sea, then towards the heavens, and finally towards the Almighty God. And that's instructive about the sin of the spies. God took us out of Mitzrayim and he commanded us at Har Sinai, but how do we stay connected to that moment as we journey towards the land? The answer is that we need to sew it into the fabric of our lives. All 12 spies began with a belief in God, but only Hoshua and Kalev succeeded in sowing that belief into the fabric of this world. The 10 spies knew the Almighty God. They saw the beautiful fruit and attributes of the land, but they did not marry the two together and consequently, they never saw the promised land. For Yehoshua and Kalev, though, their amunah was visible in the stones and the trees of the land itself. When Moshe sent them, he told them to see im yeshba im if there are trees in the land or if there are none. And Rashi writes that trees refers to tzaddikim, whose merit is great for the inhabitants of the land. Every feature of the land shed light on deeper aspects of our relationship with the Creator. The idea of tzitzit reinforces that idea. The mitzvah of tzitzit is that process of weaving the spiritual into the physicality of our lives. As Jews, we concretize our beliefs in action, carrying those beliefs with us in our everyday experiences of the world. How does a person take the steps of starting a Jewish family or starting on a career knowing that they must keep Shabbos and Kashrus, With all the financial planning in the world, we'll never be able to work out the whole future. Starting a family is one way of living in that amuna, as Hashem helps us to fulfill a mitzvah rabba, a great mitzvah. But as the tzitzit suggest, it can also happen in smaller ways as well. The other day, someone called my wife and asked if we'd be able to have a guest over at the house. My wife had a lot going on, but she made a conscious decision. She jumped on the opportunity to invite this guest because she was thinking about a time that a family hosted us for Shabbos. And she felt that she wanted to concretize in that moment that feeling of gratitude. So in your life, whether you're standing at the Jordan River going into Israel or just contemplating a simple mitzvah, think back to your muna, your basic Jewish beliefs. As you do so, try to identify the spot where you can weave the thread of your faith into practical daily life. If you do so, it just might lead you to the promised land. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with your friends. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and this is the Torah Journey Podcast.